0: Um, I want to share a couple things with you again this week from Tom Rainer's book. At the same time, I want to pick up with our notes where I left off last week, so I'm going to kind of split this up a little bit. Um, first thing, let's just start here. We'll read and then we'll pray, have a short prayer, and then we will, we'll get to just a couple things I want to talk about, about discipleship, especially about church membership. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, Paul writes, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, he says that, and then he defines the worthy manner of walking in that calling. And that is, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I've spent a lot of the time that I have been conscious of this verse, trying to deconstruct the phrase unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I think more often than not, and now thanks to, to a guy like Tom Rayner, I'm not really so anxious to do that because he really defines that with the previous phrases. So if we are to look at the unity of the Spirit and the bond of, of peace, That we must look at it in terms, Brother Chris, of my humility, first and foremost, my humility, my gentleness, my patience, um, my ability to literally bear with everyone in love, and that final word, which I think is where the verse turns, and that is with my eagerness. Alright? Um, now, what I'm saying before we, we, we pray and talk about a couple of other things is this. Is that the word eager is indicative of my overall attitude toward what the task I'm taking on, right? Um, I can know, guys, that something is the right thing to do. I can know it's necessary and I know it's good. But, but sometimes all those things are true... And I put it off and put it off, right? I don't do this personally in my home, but I am intimately involved with the process. Anybody here pay bills? Who likes to do that? Who is eager, can't wait to pay the bills every month? Nobody. You may pay them the first day of the month, but nobody is eager to do it, are you? Because your attitude toward it is that it's a terrible, horrible thing, and that one of the great things about heaven is no more bills, right? Right? You're never going to owe anybody anything. Never have to borrow. The plenty that this earth is supposed to provide is going to be an actuality in the new heavens and the new earth, right? We'll work for the joy of labor. We won't toil to pay things off. Alright, I know that got really, the tone shifted on me a little bit. It got kind of serious there, but that's the truth of it, right? That idea of eagerness in Paul's verses there is, is, where, um, is where the rubber really does meet the road. Where we start to be called upon to have that sweat equity in this. Which is this one thing to say, I know all these things are a good thing. It's another thing to be eager to have them. Right? Totally a thing. It's one thing for me to be eager to be humble. Because nobody's really eager to be humble. It's another thing for me to be eager to be gentle with other people. Because most of us are not by nature gentle, are we? We are gentle until offended. And then what gentleness we have just evaporates, doesn't it? And we can become really, really harsh and really brutal when angered, right? Right? talking to Kyle tonight one of the things Kyle talked about that we've kind of shared about amongst ourselves was how, how hard it is when you feel yourself getting angry to stand in the way and, and force that down right to not indulge those those vulgar base passions because it's that anger it's that anger that connects me with the old Tony isn't it It's that anger that connects you with the old person. And we can so easily be right back in that mindset, in that frame of mind, in that attitude. And I thought it was weird, because one of the things that, that, that Rainer talks about, I'm going to share just a little bullets here in just a second, one of the things he talks about in this first chapter of his book is this, is that he says that if there's anything that's got to change in members everywhere, is our attitude toward church. Like it or not, Almost all of us have either an overall negative attitude about service in God's house, or we have this negative attitude about certain things about service in God's house. And that as long as my attitude is negative, there will be no eagerness in me. As long as my attitude is, is negative... There will be no willingness in me to go and give up the things I've got to give up to make it better. Um, It's like I've said many times. It's the difference between training for a marathon and going on a diet. Both involve a lot of the same tasks, don't they? One has a goal, winning. The other one has a very hard to determine goal, being skinnier. Define that. That can be five pounds or fifty pounds right. It can be healthy or unhealthy, right? But but the marathon has a healthy goal at the end of it, a good goal. It's like doing something just to try to, to tailor yourself and having a real end in mind. So so there's that, that idea of eagerness. If I am eager, it is because more than anything else I've abandoned all those negative attitudes. And I'll give these things up because the goal at the end of it is so precious to me. If the goal at the end of it is to be a truly Bible-believing, evangelistic church full of Bible-believing, evangelistic people, if that's the goal and we all embrace it, then we're all willing to do whatever it takes to do that, right? But if there's no stated goal, we're having to embrace the goal, then what's going to happen? I'm doing these things for reasons that are not clearly defined. Now, I've got a lot of teachers in here. Pick on Sandra. Sandra doesn't work in the classroom, does it? Classrooms are goal-oriented. And it's not just for me and you, right? They've got to know the goal. My kids have to be goal-oriented too. If their goal is to do better, that's kind of in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Moving from a 69 to a 70 is doing better, technically, isn't it? The status doesn't change very much, does it? Not at all. Not very much at all. But now if the goal is 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 by by skill, or the goal is by grade, if it's clearly stated and embraced by everybody, then what happens? Then then everybody can meet, and everybody's got to share in it. So I just want to share these things with you very quickly. Then we'll move on to my to my other roadblock. These are the things he pointed out. Okay. Attitudes. One, the right attitude. He says, hang on, go back just a little bit. That's the last one. This is the first one. Um, Right attitude, to be unifying. Now, once again, we know all these things are true. We want people who are unifying people and not divisive people. The problem is, is that when we get down to application, all of us can be unifying and in in the next breath be divisive, right? All of us can be that. Having the right attitude between uh, toward being unifying or about being unifying means that I have to adopt what these attitudes that Paul clearly states, so that I bring people together and don't tear them apart. And not just when it's convenient, brother buddy, but all the time. Not just when it's convenient, but in every situation. Not just when I don't when I'm kind of neutral toward the topic, but even when I'm personally offended by the topic. Because there's where we get it right there in church, don't we? The reason why church can be so not unifying but and so very divisive is because we can be so passionate about matters that the church touches on, right? As I pointed out, I don't really care what color the carpet is. But there are people in your church that do. A lot. Almost too much, right? To the point that you wonder how, if it's healthy that they care that much about that stuff. Right? Everybody's had that conversation with somebody that you thought maybe it was just getting a little obsessed with some minor detail. Now, I need to be patient and gentle about that, Miss Dolores. I do. At the same time, though, for them to grow, they have to be unifying in something that, that shade by their nature, they're not unifying. By their nature, they're not unifying at all about that. But for them to grow... Now remember, that's part of the goal here. Joseph is just like the classroom. The church doesn't work unless everybody grows. The church doesn't work if half of us grow and half of us stay the way that we are. The church only works if everybody grows. If everybody becomes more like Christ. But then, what are the other reasons? Very quickly. Um, right? I'm a, to be sacrificial. Sacrificial church members do what? We put ourselves aside, don't we? Sacrificial church, church members can turn our backs on our wants and our needs and embrace everyone else's. Sacrificial church members literally say this this wonderful thing that the Bible would very, very clearly teach, and that is that I have to see other people as more important than I am. Chris, not, not the same level of importance. Not equality. I have to see myself at the bottom and Katie more important than me. And the only way I can really embrace a Christ-like attitude in my life toward my church is for me to see me as below you. How many people really do that? We say we do. We say we do, don't we? But then when we're called upon to actually act like that, how many people actually do it? Now, once again, we can look at the Scriptures, guys, like God is making suggestions to us. This is a roadmap forward for God's people. It doesn't work. You wonder how come church doesn't work most of the time? Because we don't manage to do the things that God clearly told us we're supposed to do. We, we embrace them as suggestions. We're just human and we just do this. And, and I'm going we'll to cover that later, but that's baloney. If God can save my soul from perdition, what can He do with my broken personality, Miss Diane? If He can wash away the blackness of my sin, what can He do with my hard-headedness? So, more, just a little bit more. Okay, being joyful. Being a joyful church member. Being a prayerful church member. Now, I'll be honest with you, some of those others, I've, I can be self-sacrificing sometimes. I can be, I can be, um, I can be a prayerful church member. Sometimes I have a lot of trouble being a joyful church member. I'm a God, I'm a glasses half empty kind of guy, and and I always have been throughout my entire life. I'm not, and, and I, I fit in well because I've been a Baptist my whole life—not a Southern Baptist, but a Baptist. And Baptists are always w- weaned on pickle juice, always. You know why Baptists don't clap in church very much? Because we don't have anything to be happy about. And that's just really the truth. As anybody's been to Baptist church very long knows. What did we? My Baptist church, the Missionary Baptist church, never clapped, and the Southern Baptist church clapped like once a year. In fact, Brian clapped more. We clapped more Sunday in church than I did entire growth growing up. The don't clap. No, they don't. We know how what you know what Baptist clapping is. Amen. We say Amen. that, that is a round of applause in a Baptist church. What is burn? <laughs> burn, burn. You weren't here. We'll explain later. You missed it. Um, Yeah, uh, you're right, I guess. That was thunderous applause. That's what that was. Or a coup, one or the other. I couldn't tell. Something like that. But um, I'm not good at the joy part. But now here's the thing. Now the reason why I'm not good at the joy part, and some of y'all got it too, is because I can feel overwhelmed with my problems. By my own personal problems, Miss Pansy, I can also be over feel overwhelmed by my problems and Lucas's problems, by my problems, Lucas's problems, and Joseph's problems, by my problems, Lucas's problems, Joseph's problems, and your problems. Anybody else feel like that? Like you get on your knees to pray and you run out of time to pray for all of it. You 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 understand why the saints would go to their knees and pray for like four hours to start the day. Some of us have to get up at midnight to do all of our praying. We, we, we are so conscious of so many struggles and so many problems with so many people. It can be very, very, very hard to come in and not just feel about this tall. And not because you, you feel bad about yourself, because you feel like you're carrying so many, so many large burdens. Uh, another part of the ministry, that I think, is widespread throughout all of us. It's not just a Tony problem, so it's not me whining. Is all, a, lot, a lot of times I will know about things that I can't share. Do you understand what I mean? I mean, I can't even go home tell my wife. And so I literally feel like I'm at the right, at like the, the top of a pyramid. And I can't even go confess it to anybody. I've just got to bear with it. I've just got to carry it. And you can feel like it's dragging you down, can't you? Now, what? where, where my attitude has to change... And what I'm going to model for you is this, where my attitude has to change, is that if I've got a list of problems a book long, it does not change the fact that Jesus Christ suffered and died for my sins and for the sins of the world. The reason we have to rejoice, the most important reason, is the fact that Jesus Christ came as a ransom for us. No matter what's going on in my life, He still died no matter what goes on in my life, He's still Lord of it all. So Mike, even if there are financial problems in a family over here, and there are marriage problems in a family over here, and a kid's sick over here, and there's something in the very, very back corner that's so dark that I can't even tell anybody about it, all of that is true. And I just feel like I'm just crushed under it, and work's terrible, and everything is wrong, and my own kids are sick, and everything's going on, the reality is this, is that Jesus still hung and died for our sins. And He's coming back. He's coming back. So all the bad things in the world can be true, and it doesn't change the fact that Jesus died and that He's coming again for His people. It's why our deaths are victories and not defeats. It's why the sting is felt by humanity and not in heaven. It's why death has been swallowed up in victory for all time. But if you and I walk out that door and a, and, a, and a truck wipes us out, we see Jesus face to face. The ones that are hurting are, are not the ones we bury, it's us. We shouldn't cry for them, they should cry for us. We're stuck here. We're in this madness. And they with Jesus. They'll never know pain or suffering or age or sickness ever again. Ever again. The weight of the glory they see crushes every bad thing that happens in this world. That's ever happened. Think about how many people lived lives of intense suffering and died. And Paul's promise is, is that no matter what happened, it's crushed under weight of glory. Concentration camp victims suffered for the glory of God, lived, starved to death. And all that's crushed under weight of glory instantaneously. So I guess the question for me is why is my attitude so bad? Why do, am I not joyous? Because the one constant in my life is the fact that I can rejoice in Jesus Christ. And that's brighter. That's brighter by a million fold, by a billion fold. It's comparing the sun to a candle. So bright, it can't be ignored. So now that's the glory of it. Now, I'm going to share just uh, along these same same lines just a couple more things with you if you'll have patience with me. Um, I said this from back when we started our shorter Bible study a a little bit ago, that four blessings emanate from a section of the Psalms that I concentrated my efforts on just in talking about the creative power and how the creative power of God impacts everything. Because another one of those reasons why I have to rejoice is the fact that the same Jesus that died for me for me created me and created all of us. So He's not this one-hit wonder. I guess it's a dumb way to say it. He's not this one-hit wonder. But the very Jesus that died for us, uh, Lucas, spoke us into being. So the one who created this offered Himself as a sacrifice for it. Now, uh, I don't know if we can even wrap our brains around it, right? But let's try. Jesus created all creation. And now He has offered Himself as a sacrifice to restore that creation. There's got to be power in that. Now, these are the the blessings or the powers that I see in this. One, all good and enduring things come only from the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Jerry Bridges tweeted this just the other day. He said, this said, "...all things are indebted for their existence to the continuing, sustaining action of God exercised through His Son. Nothing exists of its own inherent power of being. Nothing in all creation stands or acts independently of the Lord's will." So... It's not just that as an exercise of His infinite and eternal will, God speaks the world into being in an instant. That the Bereshit, the beginning happened, and God spoke it. It all just was there. It's also the fact That because He's spoken into being as an exercise of His infinite eternal will, we are now still hardwired into that very will. Which means none of us, according to Bridges, and he's right, none of us exist separate from the will of God. Even the lost sinner that will be condemned eternally to hell is still an expression of the will of God. Of God, They are not outside His will. Which means anyone who pulls a gun and shoots someone in an act of violence doesn't do it against the will of God, but that happens precisely by the will of God. That God foresaw that from the very beginning, and even in that terrible act of violence, as horrible as it is, or the millions or billions of other, other actions of just inexplicable violence, none of them is outside the will of God, and none of them is outside the good of God. Now I've explained this, and it's a hard thing to explain, but the only way I can say it is this is that just because Tony can't understand it does not mean it's outside the will of God. Which also goes for you, just because Pansy can't understand it, does it mean that God doesn't have a plan for it. And there's no obligation stated in Scripture that says, Miss Debbie, that says that God has to explain everything to, to Tony or Debbie, is there? There are going to be things that happen, Mike, that simply put, I don't get. I don't see how God is glorified in that. But I can trust the Scriptures to be true that He is glorified in it. Everything. Everything. Little kids get cancer and die. Little kids, little babies get cancer and die. Admittedly, Miss Diane, if I created the world out of my own arrogance and ambition... That would probably be one of those things I would want to eliminate. But yet God is wiser than I am. And He knows that even in that He is glorified. I I don't know how. I can't even explain it. I can't begin to explain it. But I know that it is true because He tells me it is such. I know that it's true. Excuse me. Okay. God, as the maker of heaven and earth, gives each of us blessings through his will and his creation. In Psalm 115, verse 15, the psalmist writes, May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The blessings of God are key to his creative powers. As Nehemiah declares this in Nehemiah 9 6, he says, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven. The heaven of heavens, with all their hosts; the earth and all that is on them; the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Look, God is singular. He is by Himself in His creative power and might. He created all, and He preserves everything that we that He created, including us. And I think that is one of those things that we also fail to recognize. Is and I. The way I've, I've, I've explained in the past is that I'm sure we would be shocked if we knew every time we had narrowly avoided death. Yesterday. No, it was today. I apologize. It was today. My path from this house to Stringer, Mississippi is... V- usually at the time I leave, open. Today, I followed a log truck going I don't know where for half the journey and then I followed someone else who wanted to drive between 45 and 50 the rest of the way. I have no idea why people with no place to go are out so early. (laughs) Because the rest of us have some place to be. I do not know what these people do. But I know this much, they are taking their time getting there. there Sir? You're right, it'd be there at 10 o'clock. And so they left at 5. You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, What dawned on me when I was trying to not be... Because I'm still early. I'm just not as early as I want to be early. Do you understand what I mean here? You've lived it. Okay. I'm 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 15 minutes early instead of 20 minutes early, which is what I want. So I'm, I I get it, and as I'm turning onto my road, and I finally got clear of all that, and I'm driving, thinking, who knows what was up there that when I'm driving my usual speed, I would have run into. Who knows that if I'd been doing what driving the way I wanted to drive, that someone wasn't going to run a stop sign. Because they're just as busy and just as late as I am, or late for being early, and they want to get there, and they're just trying to be a good employee. And they California stopped at a, at a traffic sign. I mean, he hasn't. Everybody's done that. Who knows what awaited me if, if I had not had a slow poke or two. But that God understood the intricacy not just of His creation, but of my journey, in a way I'll never even understand ever understand and that he acted in mercy to preserve me when quite honestly Mike I wasn't even going to appreciate it until he intervened I couldn't see I didn't know how bad things would be and I guess here's the here's the instance that I guess is I'm the I'm the most kind of caught up in is we're always talking to our kids about unintended consequences, aren't we? If you've got kids of age, you're always talking to them about stuff like this. And we're the very first ones to never even think about the unintended consequences. What could happen? What a dangerous thing it is to pull out of your driveway every morning. What a dangerous thing. And that God is all about the intricacies of everything bad that can go wrong. And how He makes sure, Chris, that... I am virtually always arrive, even if I'm distracted, or not thinking, or thinking too much. How often does He do that? We are a product of His creation, creation and we're precious to Him. That's, that's Maybe the best part of it is that all of this is an expression not of God's judgmental nature toward me because God is the most judgmental person you will ever meet in your life. Get that firmly in here. God's, one of God's functions is to judge everything around Him, is to compare everything around Him to standards of holiness that only He truly understands that He expresses within the Scriptures. So He judges me every single day. But even though God judges me, He has every right to judge me, and it's righteous for Him to judge me because He is ultimately infinitely righteous. But this, along with His judging me, He also finds me precious. He finds me both lacking and wanting and needing and precious at the same time. I understand it. You know why that is? Because I'm such a terrible parent, and such a terrible husband, and such a terrible friend, I'm such a terrible leader. Because I usually like the things that are good to me, and don't like the things that are bad to me. And every once in a while, I'm related to those things that are bad to me, or more often than that. And I can be downright callous toward them. But God can look at me and find me lacking in every area and still simultaneously find me precious. Act to preserve me. If I was God, Miss Diane, along with the baby cancer, people that that thumb their nose at me, poof! (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm petty. Huh? Because I'm petty. Look, it's just heart attack. I'm a very petty person. We all are. So are you. Don't act like it. We can't even be president, much less God. Regular folks can't even be president of the United States without goofing it up. Much less God, having power of life and death. Thunderbolts. It would be just like the the, the false, fake Greek gods, who are just as petty and human, or hyper-petty and hyper-human. I can't handle that power. I could never do that right but I can, I can spend a day thumbing my nose at God and God still finds me precious. He corrects me and chastises me because He loves me. But He'll still defend me. He won't let the truck get me the way it should. He'll arrange my life so I'm preserved and not taken. I would do the opposite because I'm petty. He's not. And valuable as an expression of His holy will and energy. I am not just, you are not just valuable, not just precious, but God finds us valuable. The blood bestowed upon your life to save you from your sins is an investment of value in you. God has a stake in seeing you rise, seeing you grow, seeing you, he has a term for it, sanctification made holy, set apart, prepared, so that your life has meaning in the kingdom. There's value in us. We come together to celebrate in many ways the the, the notion that we have remained precious despite our sin and that we remain valuable in the eyes of an eternal and everlasting King. It's It's not a mistake to preserve you because He sees us as something of value. Because we're an expression of His will, it was His will to save you. It is His will to preserve you. It's His will to sanctify you, and it is His will to glorify you, to bring you to Him. Our response: worship. Again, hey, look! It's so so funny. We can talk about the most fantastic and heady things, and blah 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 blah. But the reality is, we just get down to back like the very most basic things in the world: pray. Study. Worship. Why do we cry out and worship? Because God preserves our life. Because despite our sin, He sees us as precious. And despite our rebellion, He sees us as valuable and invests Himself in us. Because God's not human. We are a reflection of Him. He's not a reflection of us. He is, in fact, in reality, nothing like us at all. None of our limitations, none of our vileness and wickedness and evil. None of that at all. God looks down at me and you and despite all of our imperfections, preserve. See is precious. Invest in because you're valuable. Let's pray. Father God, I adore you. I ask you please God to bless us Lord with a moment God through prayer of worship Father in which we acknowledge how great you are God and how much you have poured into us Father God and how much you Lord have, have turned your back Father God on, on the, 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 the wickedness of our lives and the shortcomings of our personalities and our natures, Father God, and how You've seen us, God, in, in an exalted way through the holiness of Jesus. We ask You, please, now, Father God, to bless us, Lord, that these things would be, would be real for us now. Not just uh, fancy talking, Father God, or, or, or animated preaching, or all those things, but they would be real for us now, Father. And that You, that, that we, Father God, could live in such a way, Father, that brings honor and glory to You, Father, because we acknowledge um, the constant provision that we are never far from Your will, Father God. And that we are nothing without your love. God I adore you. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen.